Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa coming to you from Radio Free Brooklyn, the best station in the Western Hemisphere. Go to our homepage at www.radiofreebrooklyn.com and donate money. Just a small amount, just just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, because we've all got to believe in free, free communication, free press, whatever you call it. Uh, so I'm here today. I just, I am exhausted. I may not make any sense. Well, I'm. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. I'm trying to chill out. I just did this. Uh, uh, art fair spring break and I did therapy on a hundred people in six days and maybe some of you might have even been there and are listening and hello and welcome I'm so glad you came to see me it's possible you might be there but uh, that was a really really intense experience I got very uh, I actually got a lot better I got like I got it down I got people in and out of there in like 5 10 15 minutes my my shrink was blown away yesterday when I told her though how many people I did uh, so um, my guest today is the uh, highly talented David Humphrey he's a really amazing painter in um, his work is so mul- it it like here's what's great about his work I mean there's so many things that are great about his work but what I think is unusual is the combination of the actual, the painting, the narrative, the humor, the communication, um, but like all of that, and I, I had that opinion on my own, and then I read some of the reviews that other people who are really educated wrote and see a lot of painting. I don't even see that much painting. Uh, and they all agreed with me. So um, anyway, it's really interesting. I think it's very, very rare that you see a painter who has who is just operating at full tilt on so many levels at the same time. And that's what everybody said. And that's why it's got such a fucking great gallery, Fredericks and Frazier, which is like a really like is blue blue chip gallery. Is it a blue chip gallery? Maybe there's another hue. Uh, maybe it's red chip or I don't know. It's like a, it's like it's like a light blue chip gallery it's not like a bullshit gagosian thing baby baby blue baby blue but it's a good gallery how long have you been with them oh that was my third show so anyway this is david humphrey and so uh we're going to talk to him about his work and uh he just had a show that closed at frederick's fraser on february 25th and uh we're going to find out what that was like for him because he's like the consummate professional um artist who's like been through it all and should be totally like no big deal, but we'll find out. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if we can. We'll see what he he's making faces now. We'll see if I can get him to to like crack on that. It, it's got to be stressful, but also. So this is really funny. And I was just telling uh, David this. Um, I kind of uh, sprang it on him, ambushed him when he walked in. But uh, so David and I met. Well, we sort of had it. We had a friend in common during the eighties who was my next door neighbor. Mike Berg, when uh, we lived in a loft building, me and my boyfriend, David Cantor, we lived in a loft building across the street from where the Gansford Hotel is now. And like, I developed a big crush on David Humphrey. 
Um, I was really dissatisfied in my own relationship, and I projected. I didn't know David Humphrey. I'm surprised he even remembered me, but he lived across the street from us, and he was really good friends with our next door neighbor. So I was sort of like, I was like, oh, there's that guy. I, I, I was both, we were both in, you know, relationships, but uh, I had a thing for him. So I just told him that. So we may get into that. But I also uh, want to, um, just out of respect, uh, we are both happily married now. And he has a, an incredibly talented wife who I'm hoping to get to really meet in the near future. Uh, she, and she has a shop and we want to make sure that you guys know about it. I saw uh, an invite to the opening. Of course, I've been at Spring Break Hell, but... Um, and her show, Jennifer Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, is at um, Freight and Volume, another great gallery. And um, where can you just because we're on we're on the topic, David, give us the address and tell us how when it's open till. It'll be up for a month. Till when? Till uh, April something. Yes, April. Okay, something. well, I'll post about it too. Somewhere in April, and it's on Allen Street, just below Delancey. Okay, cool. So uh, just so you know. Just so you know, like this was like a whole other lifetime that I'm talking about as far as having a crush on David. I wish you had said something. Me a note. You wish you had said something about then. Yeah, man, you might have thought I was cute. <laughs> yeah, I and you could have saved a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but then we wouldn't be doing this interview now. And what's the point? That's right. <laughs> um. So okay. Uh. So what I wanted, so uh, what I want David to do for 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 us, our listeners, are are people who are like at home or listening on. Like I always picture, it's like a bunch of like either unemployed or underemployed creative people listening to this. But I want them to be buoyed by by um, the discussion of your work. So um, can you kind of articulate? Uh, how you would describe your work for us. And then also I want to talk a little bit about what the experience of having the show was like for you. So let's hear, how would you describe your work? How do you describe it? Sure. It's hard to cook up from scratch, but it tends to be very hybrid. There's figures in them. There's, there's gestures, there's elements of abstraction that kind of intrude onto narrative scenes. There's locations like workplaces or, uh, mud piles. There's guys lying on couches. There's uh, people having conversations. Um, so it's it's a it's a pileup that hopefully tells tells a story or tells many stories. Uh, one of them would include um, a conversation with spectators as to what they might imagine is there. The name of the show was uh, called "I'm Glad We Had This Conversation," and Part of it had to do with what happens within the work. There's conversations going on there, but also they, they spin off. So can you give me um, like a comment um, or, or some sort of what kind of like comments um, make you feel like, oh, they got it when people, you know, are at the show or leave the show or comment on your show? When you see comments, what kind of what 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 is it that you feel like? Oh, yeah, they got it. Can you can you say is that? Well, usually what pleases me is when they treat the work as a kind of interpretive plaything mm-hmm. and they dig in and come up with something and they say they had an adventure, they had a little uh, exchange with the work and here's the results. So it's sort of like a Rorschach test in in a sense then. You want them to sort of look at the work and make a, a story that is evocative for them, yes, inspired ab- by the work. Absolutely. And there might be 
kind of psychosocial tensions. There might be, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, a variety of things. But I want them to have a relationship with the thing mm-hmm. in there. And the, and the only way I can know that, or the way it's reflected back, is with a like a theory they have. Do you feel like when you're making the work that you have a particular story in mind, or is it just like instincts? It's instincts. What I try to do is is combine elements that have uh, narrative potential, mm-hmm. so that they could they could lead in all kinds of ways that are that seem mm-hmm. fruitful or exciting. Um, it might be just a quality of of, of sexual tension mm-hmm. between two characters inside the the picture, mm-hmm. which you can't really anticipate what's going on. There's there was a painting in the show. Um, with a woman who seemed to be laughing at a much larger guy or laughing mm-hmm. at something he said or maybe laughing mm-hmm. at him. Her eyes are closed. And so in a way, she's she's in some ways cut off. She's She's gone into a mm-hmm. state of interiority. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone who comes to it projects some other reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, there was a mixed race element to it. And so mm-hmm. they might, you know, think about it in terms so, of... So you're basically like creating like a play set in a certain way, are you? I hope so. But you, that's, that's a funny, so in a way, like you're making a story, but you're not thinking like the story has a story. You're thinking of, here's like something, I'm putting something together that people can look at and create their own story. Is yeah. that right? Yes. That's pretty fucking interesting. So the story has mm-hmm. a life. So mm-hmm. its life isn't contained. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be properly alive if it just was sealed off into its autonomy. Mm-hmm. I want it to kind of leak a little bit. I want it to dribble out. It's pretty out. cool. That's very uh, unegocentric of you, I think. Well, I hope <laughs> which, so. I mean, which... it's, it's, it's like a yeah, it's a complicated ego that gets woven into it. Yeah. I'm kind of there, but not there. Or I'm, there's a fiction of me that haunts it. Right. Um, another thing that I thought of your work and um, I read also was that I think, like, you seem to really... Um, have a really, uh, and this is just really natural talent combined with a lot of hours of painting and working, I believe. But you have a real natural um, or a real facility with drawing and painting and controlling the mediums that you work in. And it feels like when you look look at the work that it's exactly, like you pretty much are are actually probably pretty satisfied with it. Is well, that I, true? I work on them a lot, and I edit a lot, so that I groom and remove and redo. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, a lot of the elements in the picture I will perform mm-hmm. in character. What so, do you mean? So, if if for for instance, there's a a, a swooping gesture, a paint mm-hmm. gesture that kind of rips across the whole canvas, mm-hmm. I kind of have to work myself into a state in which I think, oh, I'm going to be that kind of an artist. So in a way, Ah. I'm acting, and so that the various elements in the picture are like characters that interact with each other, and sometimes they're almost they're they're like different languages. So if I have you know a hard edged geometric shape Mm -hmm. that kind of rubs against a uh, a smiling somebody, Mm -hmm. that would be a case of languages or performances interacting with each other. Right, right. So it's almost like you are an actor learning, like sort of performing um, what, how am I trying to, I'm trying to say this in that um, it's almost like you're getting in character as a different artist. It's like you're playing a lot of different roles. Or maybe if you were a musician, you would be 
um, playing all the different instruments. Yeah, absolutely. Or I think and you a, are an, an, a musician also. So. Yes, and, and I and play different instruments. But let's say a writer, if they're writing about somebody loathsome, let's say, it doesn't mean that they are ne necessarily loathsome, but maybe they found some kind of loathsomeness within themselves where they really want to kind of get at this this quality of otherness within within the fiction they've crafted. Well, that's kind of what um, I was saying about um, your, that kind of, um, or lines up with what I thought about your ability to control the actual mediums, because it's almost like, um, like that curator, Paul D'Agostino, that we just did the spring break project with. He's fluent in eight languages. So to have, it's almost like you're fluent, you're fluent in a lot of different areas in creating art? Well, I'm very hungry as an artist. And if I see something in a painting or a, a work of art that I that's, that sparks something in me, I want to participate in it. I want to kind of converse with it. I want to make an opportunity for that element to... So what are your kind of influences? Well, they're A, they're a to Z. I mean, I, I uh, in some ways kind of grew up out of a sort of Cezanne, Picasso, de Kooning, Gustin mm -hmm. uh, tradition. Mm -hmm. But but I'm, you know, pop pop art has sort of rolled in because mm -hmm. I feel like popular imagery is, is just part of the language that I speak and that, um, mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, Renaissance painting. So, so just probably as many influences as... Yeah. As, as. So why does, what, what about the story part? Like, where does that come from? Is that, has that been a theme throughout your work? I mean, um, you've been doing this, you're like my age or something. So you've been doing this since you're like, what, 30, 40 years or something? Yeah, my first show was uh, in 84. So, yeah. And since then, it's the themes have tended to go in threads or pathways. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain kind of domestic content mm -hmm. like the the kind of um narratives that happen in intimate personal spaces mm -hmm. uh sometimes I'll, I'll think about workplaces um mm -hmm. like how do people how does how does a workplace inflect who what a, who a person is and or how do they intersect with each other mm -hmm. and so that the so that the labor of making a painting is somehow echoed with a different sort of labor inside the fiction um but they're all they're all psychosocial. It's all about mm -hmm. how what is it to be a person in a mm -hmm. place among others. So does that trace back to your childhood? Well, it would have to, I think. <laughs> well, do you can can you see the connection? Are there some details? Is can you like... help us out? I mean, can do you, are you are you conscious of the connection? I'm guessing you are, but I don't I don't you don't have to be to make the work. So, um I, do my... you think yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not particularly good at tracking kind of specific personal content into what I'm doing now. I guess in some ways I I think of myself as a floater that I don't actually properly exist. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not real entirely. Mm -hmm. And so as I make fictions, mm -hmm. I feel like it, it thickens the possibility of, of being real. Mm -hmm. So let's see. Where did you grow up? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, how many kids in your family? I have three younger sisters. Uh, and how about your parents? Did they have a? Were they? Are they, did they? 
did they stay together? They, they, did, and... they did stay together, and they had a kind of a classic uh, suburban, um, waspy sort of nuclear structure. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I was the uh, I was the oldest, and and quite a bit older than the than the youngest one. So mm-hmm. in a way, I was like the kind of vestigial outlier, I was, and I was a little bit of the the uh, the difficult one. What it, what 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 does difficult mean? I smoked a lot of weed when I was in high school, and I didn't mm-hmm. do well in school, and kind of um, nothing came easy. Mm-hmm. What did your parents do? My dad was in advertising, uh-huh. and my mom. And and as a business person or a creative person? He was um, the business person and copywriter. So yeah, was, copy contact they used to call it in those. Yeah, days. he was an English major. Right. And he got out of he was a, he went straight into the army, mm-hmm. and when he finished with the army, he was married. Married my mom, mm-hmm. and uh, my grandfather said, "Now it's time for you to think about a career. Uh, what do you want to do?" He didn't know. Mm. Maybe you should take this test. And he took the test in 1954 mm-hmm. or something, and mm-hmm. uh, the result said you should go into advertising, <laughs> and that was it. So, um, was he like a businessman type guy? I mean, I'm just trying to picture him as all. No, he was a kind of. He was or was he of, more of a creative type guy? He was. Definitely a kind of social guy. He was not like a, a business. He was not not hungry. super serious. No, not really. He was he was warm and kind of sociable, and, uh-huh. he, and he was a Sunday sculptor. So there was a creative uh, side to oh. it. And how about your mom? What did she do? And she, oh, was, she had four kids. <laughs> yeah, she did that, and she uh-huh. she had been a chemistry major in college. Oh wow! Um, and then just left mm-hmm. that behind, and somewhere maybe when I was in college she went back to school and became a um a music therapist and a social oh, worker wow so, so um what was it like being the oldest boy in a family of four kids was it did it feel like you were did it feel like a lot of responsibility protective how was that what 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 did your role feel like my role felt like i was exiled to the to the third floor um and tried to stay away from what seemed to be just mayhem, just uh, screaming, crying mayhem. Uh, you didn't want to get involved in the makeup wars, and I no, I didn't. But the you know by by the time they were using makeup, I was kind of already gone. Right. But the next sister below me was kind of a tormentor. What's that? That what? meant that means that she wanted my attention, and the way she tried to get my attention was by pissing me off. Ah. Uh? So I I found that um, it was just a it was kind of a war, but I, what I didn't realize was that it was a war for for attention that was underwritten by a kind of desire to connect. So that's interesting. So you didn't. She actually wanted you to to kind of approve of her. I think so. Yeah. But you interpreted in a different way because she didn't know how to get what she right. expressed that. She and how, when did you clear that up? Uh, I went away to, I went away to high school. Oh, you went to boarding school? I did for two Wh- years. Where? Because you took too many drugs and they didn't know what to do with you. Well, it was <laughs> it, I think they just wanted me out, and I think I was happy to be out. Ah, oh, mutual. I went to a Quaker school. Uh huh. And and somehow my absence cleared cleared it up with my sister. Oh, well, we that was smart. Yeah, how about that? That was good parenting there. And did you actually have a direct conversation where you became to under, where you came to understand that? Um, 
over the years, it's sort of uh, it's aggregated into a direct conversation. Mm-hmm. You could you could compress the fragments into something that would look like directness. How do you how do you think that um, that influenced your ability or your attitude to relate to women? Um, like, um, I mean, first of all, I get the impression for sure uh, that you're very respectful of women. So I don't. That's not part of. Well, no, it- but but like, do you find them annoying, or do you feel like women have, like, I guess what I'm sort of wondering is if you one if if you think women have like a little secret community that they're like talking about things that's a foreign language to you. I'm wondering about that. No, I don't think that. I I uh, I think I mean my mother was kind of the strong force mm-hmm. in the family. She mm-hmm. was the one who kind of made everything go, and she was you know clear, straight up feminist. Uh, my mm-hmm. sisters were. You know, they, they turned into women later. They were girls. Right, of course. So I kind of always felt comfortable around women. It's not like it's a, a an alien tribe. Right. So so even though they were arguing and stuff like that, you were fine with your role? You didn't feel left out? No, I didn't feel left mm-hmm. out. I, I kind of didn't really want that much to do with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, you know, like when you're in grade school, let's say. Ugh, girls uh, are horrible. Yeah, I just, you know, I like playing sports with the boys and you had running. a lot of guy Fe- friends had, right yeah we had fer- feral friends and then somewhere mm-hmm. in junior high suddenly girls start to seem interesting and mm-hmm. did you ever changes. have a friend that dated uh one of your sisters that would have been likely yes that you would, did that would be weird no yes yes that would have been weird never happened no like the, like the when i was a senior in high school my youngest sister was in the second grade oh so she, my... Well, that that wouldn't have been good at that all. That wouldn't have been too good. And then the next <laughs> one was like in the fourth grade, and the um, next one was... So they're kind of like out of the picture. Well, how much younger is your second, your, the oldest girl? The oldest one is, is like four grades behind me, three, uh, three and a half hmm, years. Yeah, that would take a while to catch up. That's true. Right. So, because um, here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering about... Um, so the, this is like... I'm wondering about, like, there seems like a desire for you to have people make up stories and i'm wondering where that where that desire comes from like you want to have are you like you want to give them all the elements so you want but you want them to make the story up so you're interested in how they're interpreting how they process things or where is there seems like there's a curiosity i mean you tell me i'm not the yeah, artist but i don't know i mean I've, that's a have very, you ever thought about that or no that's a great question i haven't really thought about it but mm-hmm. my my first impulse is to think that it's a it's a strange form of sociability like what happens between me cooking up the possibilities of narrative and a spectator who i'm eager to see make narrative Mm-hmm. Well, what what is that between me and them? That's a kind of a mixture of like a desire for intimacy within the context of no intimacy at all. Like I'm yeah. absent completely. Yeah. And so to me, that's that's an interesting charged paradox. Yeah. Can you explain that a little further? Because I I need to try and shut the door here. We've got the door came open. I'm afraid people are hearing music from outside, uh, being that we're in a radio station. But um. So, so do you want me to talk? Yeah, does as this, though you were as though you're about you're about to answer me, but I'll just keep going until you come back. No, no, I'll be right here. I'll be right here. Just, just I just want to elaborate. I'm. It'll take me two seconds, but I want you to elaborate on that more because, 
Uh, I'm very curious about it, really. So here's a, a weird version. I have a. I was an art critic for years. I, I still am sometimes. And I had a book come out that was a compilation of my art writing mm-hmm. called Blind Handshake. So Blind Handshake was the name that I gave to this peculiar social interaction between the artist and the spectator slash critic. So Wait, wait, let me just comprehend that sentence again. So between, so the, so yeah. the blind handshake is between the artist and the spectator who presumably never ever see each other. Ah, got it. So the spectator is a kind of a fantasy to the artist when they're in the studio. Right. And the artist is a fantasy to the person standing before the work. Um, because the artist is gone. They're not there. Right. And so there, I would wish for a kind of a sociability that's, that occurs on the occasion of the work at the, you know, in this, it's caused by the work. The, mm. co- the work is a kind of a, a, a strange membrane that both separates and connects mm-hmm. artists and spectators. So does it freak you out the way artists, uh, paintings, let's say just to be specific, are, are, are consumed that they are hung up without the artist being around, does it sort of freak you out a little? No, I like that. I think that's kind of strange. So, how do, do you like? Do you like? Um, do you like? I mean, you also played music for a while, right? We were just sure. mentioning you were in a band, so you know what it's like to be on stage and connect in a live with yes. a live audience, and that's exciting and very different. Right. So, let's say, would you prefer not to have a live audience? Well, I don't know. I mean, there was a mo- like mo- you could make. You know what you could do? You could get like a doll set, and then like houses, you know, and then like g- give them out, and make people do that, and see what happened. <laughs> well, I think it is kind of a virtual doll set. It is a little like, or like that. Or for boys, it would be soldiers. You yeah, know, toy soldiers. it is a little like that. So, so do you? Are you are you completely are you completely satisfied with just making the doll set and giving it away, or or do you? Also, are you hungry to have been in the process after you make you're finished making your doll set painting? Sorry, I don't mean that to sound <laughs> that sounds horrible, but you know what I mean. Well, <laughs> but what do you what are you picturing in terms of this aftermath? I'm picturing you being. I'm picturing this is what I'm picturing. I'm I'm imagining you being frustrated, and I don't know. I mean, it could just be me projecting. I'm imagining that there's some frustration, or or otherwise maybe pleasure in being mysterious there's this is what i'm imagining and i'm like i don't know anything but i i'm imagining that you either want to hear and know how people are interpreting your paintings or you like the idea maybe you're playing a joke on them by putting all this stuff together and then it's up to them and i'm not sure I don't know. I mean, do you know what I'm saying, though? Does I know that... what you're saying. Those are those are two. I feel like there's some other options, maybe. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. No. That's. Up. But that's. Yeah. I mean, neither of those are probably right. But can you explain that? But the idea of being somehow absent, uh-huh. um, with a huge amount of intensity, mm-hmm. um, appeals to me. And and maybe that's mm-hmm. you know in terms of like your role as a shrink, like what, like what, why, why would someone ever want that? <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I do. Uh-huh. I'll do. Uh, 
slide talks, let's say, at colleges. Sure. Get invited. You, you know, you, yeah. You show the thing. Yeah, the guy's and, got an A-list career. You should check it out, folks. It's, it's well, like the kind of career you travel a lot, right? I mean, you're you're making a living off your work and and teaching for yes, sure. I do, I do shows and do a teaching and all that. But yeah, it's but this mean. thing, this moment of, sta- of standing before uh, an audience, uh huh, um, showing all of your work for 30 years. Right. Um, I cannot not apologize at the beginning. I just say, I'm so sorry. Here I am. These works are meant to be seen by you under conditions without me. Ah. Conditions of silence in which you can turn your back. You don't have to Ah. even look at them. You're free. And now in this room, you're not free. Ah. And And these are objects that kind of want to address a person one at a time. You have your own relationship you can look over here you can look over there you can turn your back look at something else and return so that's so when i'm finally there here's the moment in which i am looking at the audience they're looking at me they can ask questions i i apologize i just say i'm sorry i shouldn't be here this is this is a betrayal of the deep truth wow that's interesting i i don't I don't think a lot of artists think that way i i that wouldn't occur i mean it makes a lot of sense what you say but it wouldn't have wouldn't have occurred to me. So is rejection or, or acceptance an issue for you? Like whether people like your work or not, is that part of it? Like, do you, oh, yeah, do you no, it's, is, it's, is that something that you experience? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you know, I just had a show. I'm ready to kind of, you know, jump off a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when, when, when you're not present with the work, is it easier for you because you're not worrying about the acceptance rejection? Aspect? Yeah, that's that is that, that is that the hot button there. That's a hot. Button. Yeah, that's a that is like the most painful and disorienting mm-hmm. part of the whole business. Mm-hmm. Being in the studio, making things, fantasizing about their life out in the world, expecting mm-hmm. uh, the show that's going to open in six mm-hmm. months or wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. That that's the that's the juice. Mm-hmm. That's the exciting part. Mm-hmm. Scheming and plotting, coming up with a new image, testing mm-hmm. it out, experimenting, mm-hmm. kaboom. Mm-hmm. Here's something amazing. So so is um acceptance rejection is that something from your childhood? Can we go or would you I mean, is does it does it is that true in other areas or is that just we can we, I mean maybe it's not I don't maybe, know. You know, that's a good question. Know. No one's ever we can asked come me back. That. We can come back for that. Well, I can I can spin an answer, maybe. Okay. Well, I'm gonna say that like just the way you present and the little bit that I know you, which it really is very, very little as far as actually spending time and experiencing you. Um you I wouldn't I wouldn't just like super on the most superficial level of of your of being in your presence i would say it seems to me as if rejection i mean you're not you're neither uh overly confident or underconfident to me you seem very much like that's not something you don't have a lot of deep insecurity about whether a je- rejection or acceptance you seem much more healthy and grounded than that well to until, me until i got to art school i was a a pretty substantial underachiever. Mm-hmm. Never really got good grades. Might have had a reading disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much like adapted to being mm-hmm. not the special one at all. Mm-hmm. Were you good at drawing always? No, I hardly did it. Huh, I, I made funny. I made sculpture, but I had some kind of weird confidence that I could, but uh-huh. just didn't figure out. But how you weren't to... an art kid. I mean, I took classes and I and I did enough to to be to stand mm-hmm. out and to get into art school. Once I got mm-hmm. into art school, a kind of roadmap was laid out. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and the tribe of artists mm-hmm. um, 
that I had never experienced ah. um, revealed something like this. Uh, I'm home. You learned the history of art a bit. You mean yeah, all yeah. of that. Yeah, which you didn't. You weren't taken to museums a lot. I, I was enough, enough to but kind of enough, but not like you. You didn't have a real background. Not an engaged way. I was enough mm-hmm. to kind of think. You know, this is for me. Mm-hmm. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the first thing about how to begin or how to start right. or what, how to. Right. How to do so that. when you first discovered art, you you took to it pretty much, and so I, I have not stopped. For so one ha- second, since like mm-hmm. you know freshman year in, in college. So were you? Find, did was that when you discovered that you were good at something? Did that change? No, I, f- it- I felt like deeply behind, and so I I lit the engines of remediation, and practiced and worked like a fucking monster mm. for ever. I, I'm still I still work very hard. I'm trying to dial it down now. Finally, so you were trying to catch up. You felt absolutely. behind. I did absolutely. And now, and you're still trying to catch up. <laughs> Are you considered a workaholic? I was. Uh-huh. I'm. Uh, I'm. I've been. I'm. I'm undertaking the discipline of laziness. I think. Uh, yes. You know, if I can. You know, I write that as a prescription quite often to people who are workaholic. Discipline yourself to be lazy. It's a or to do nothing. It's a. It, for some people, it is a cognitive thing. Yeah, and I think maybe these days. I mean, we're all looking for um, for ways to resist mm-hmm. uh, the new kind of um, horrendous uh, <laughs> order. And you know, I think there is something about indolence. Maybe there's a kind of nineteenth uh, century, yeah, maybe yeah. dandy kind of, um, kind of what do you call it? Weaponized indolence. Yeah, like fuck everyone. We're not getting involved in this <laughs> shit. So, 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 not being good at anything, and then finding out you could be good at something is is part of part of what what's behind that. Maybe. Yeah, there's a little bit of a mo- that's that was kind of a motor. It was an engine for a good mm-hmm. long time. So do you, so how is the show? Do you feel, well, let me just do the station ID and remind people how happy I am that they're listening to us. I'm here with David Humphrey at uh, Radio Free Brooklyn. Dr. Lisa gives a shit on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Come to our homepage and donate to Patreon. Like a dollar a month is would be awesome. Uh so, um, how was the show? How was the show emotionally for you? I love having a show, and I love seeing it all up officially, and I'm very happy with that all my friends come, although openings are kind of socially challenging. Really? Because, Why? Because it's nothing but, for two hours, a series of interrupted conversations. Yeah, right. That's true. With people you care about. Right. That's so, true. So, I feel like in the end, I've, I've just sort of slighted um, my hundred closest friends. <laughs> Well put. That's funny. I never think of that. I mean, I, I mean, well, not that there's so many. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I could see that. But then the show's up, and I'm very happy about that. And and I you know, wish it was up longer. This particular show opened the night before the inauguration. Oh man! Which is to say, the that's uh, tough before the the demonstrations. And, yeah. And it felt and was unseemly to kind of say, hey. Hey everybody! Yeah, right. Think about my show right now because actually there's other things that are very pressing and very important, and I yeah. and I cared about them too and demonstrated and was and was glad to. Other artists ha- that were showing at that time had similar comments. I mean, that makes sense, but yeah, that's part of the deal too. That's that's tough, but so um, but um, so at the end of the day, though, did so how did how do you feel now? Let's. Let's just do that. Well, you know, I got a, there's a, got a lot of great press. Because it just press. closed. There's, wait, I just want to be specific about this. It just closed a week ago? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it's freshly finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about a show is that my studio is cleared out mm-hmm. in the way those works have been spent, mm-hmm. and I'm free to revisit mm-hmm. new things and develop new ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, there's the possibility of saying, well, gee, what's the point again? Why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, there's a lot of David Humphrey paintings and sculpture in the world. Do, do we really need any more? <laughs> <laughs> and That's so, funny. so the only antidote, the only cure for that malaise is to make more. Right. Sadly. So do you feel like you're starting off on a fresh slate? Or yeah. are you influenced by what the response or having to work up? Will that change your work? Um, no. I mean, I had some really lovely press. Yes, and, you did. Uh, I was, I was happy about the insights and the intelligence brought to it. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but no, I, almost always though, I, I do feel free to try new things. Mm. Um, what does that mean? I mean, I, I'm always trying new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just maybe mm-hmm. I have a slightly increased sense of that. I think, I think I'm going to say this. I think, uh, and then we're going to move on to like how I had a crush on you, but cause we promise people. And if you want to call in, if you, if we start talking about it and you have anything you want to say, we're at 718-928-9732. That's 718-928-9732. You're all welcome to ca- call in, call in and say whatever the fuck you feel like saying. Cause I give a shit. Um, so what, what I'm going to say is that I think that, um, okay, this is my bullshit, my bullshit, uh, psychotherapy, uh, conclusion. You tell me if it makes sense, uh, that, uh, as kind of a hedge against not feeling like you're good at anything like you used to feel before you started making art, if you're a work, if you work all the time, then, at least you're improving and then you don't have to feel like you're not, you're not as good as you could be. Well, that's a fine kind of Protestant, uh, <laughs> uh sort of version of no. it. Yes. No, it makes sense. I, I, I guess that's, that's true. And that's quietly there. Uh, I find that a little bit embarrassing. I'd rather, I'd rather, yeah, be I a, just, that's a problem. I'd rather be a sort of, you know, anarcho fuck you, um, let the chips fall kind of, kind of artist. Uh, you know, make the, make the executive decision. Like I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. That's what, that's what every, that's what everybody thinks. And if they don't listen to this, the, they'll, they'll continue to think that and all, but you know, like this is what we're saying. Like art is about, there is, we're all exposing ourselves constantly in ways that we don't think we are. So I don't know. There may be some of that in there, maybe not. Well, anyway. Here's, here's here's part of it is that I can sniff this out in certain mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. who are working so hard to prove something about themselves, mm-hmm. like that they're competent mm-hmm. or that they're smart or even that they um, are, you know, badder, mm-hmm. you know, they're just like a badass. Mm-hmm. And to me, if I feel those, those kind of rhetorical demands, mm-hmm. those that neediness mm-hmm. to me it it diminishes the uh, the work. yeah i'm not saying that whatsoever i mean like i said um i get the feeling that you know you've got a really really balanced ego and that um you are not this is all about you and you this is not about anything to do with 
what you want other people to controlling people. I think your work is very uncontrolled. I think your work's incredibly generous. Are you kidding? I mean, you put yourself out there for other people to do whatever happens, happens. And so I, I'm not insinuating that whatsoever. I think it's, um, I think it's really a very internal struggle, which is probably why the work comes out in such a um, pleasurable, enjoyable. I think the work is really enjoyable, right? It's not. Yeah. I mean, and, it's it's smart and thoughtful and deep and complex, but at the end of the day, like you like it and you enjoy it. It makes you feel good, pretty much, right? Yeah, absolutely. But so I don't think you'd be able to do that if you were, you know, were needy or conflicted. And but there's it, there's uh, no doubt that underneath. There has mm-hmm. to be. This is just goes with being a person. Mm-hmm. Some unresolved dark shit that gets work that works its way out, mm-hmm. and and is maybe even unredeemable bad stuff. Now it doesn't mean that the work reflects it or has it as manifest content, but the motivation that sort of you know the muddy, mm-hmm. un, undifferentiated kind of gooey sort of ele- stuff that makes up your, uh, you know, mm-hmm. well, conditions of yourself. I'm going to tell you this painting that I made um, that was hanging at spring break that a lot of people, including Stefan Stucks, believe it or not, I finally got to, I got to meet him, uh, responded to. And the painting is, it's a text painting and it says, um, as an artist, once the struggle is over, you're fucked. <laughs> so I think that's an appropriate point here that we all agree on. And um, to your credit, I mean, you're really, from my, as far as I can tell, very, very successful. And um, you could stop struggling if you didn't, if you wanted to, but that's obviously something that um, you're not. You know, you don't. You're, you're the. You have a lot of integrity about your work, and like that's not part of it, whether you're struggling or not. Right. Yeah, I have to grow. You have a I'll... lot. You have a lot of integrity. There's no doubt about it. Well, it's a, it's a, it's it's that I want. I want to continue to have adventures. Right. So, and that means maybe growing, but it all, it means, mm-hmm. um, di- becoming disoriented. I have to be able to somehow be off balance to make the new work. Right. Right. So, uh, interesting. That's interesting. Um, and I want everybody to go to, um, my Facebook page and, uh, look at the work and I think it'll, I think it'll, uh, illuminate what we're saying. So, um, so here's, here's, um, a chance for me to get some therapy from you where I can tell you, uh, so I'm going to tell you why, what I was projecting on you when I was in my twenties. So in the eighties, so here's the thing. Um, and you, you tell me what uh, it would, you know, if this made sense, cause this is like, I had made up this story about you. So I, was in this relationship with Mike Berg, our mutual friend who was a painter, next door neighbor. Are you still friends with Mike Berg? Um, I see him on Facebook, but I've he not seen him. He lives in Indonesia now. I looked him up today before the show. Wow. Is and that I, right? He was in Turkey, that? was the last I heard. Is it Indonesia? Turkey? Maybe it's Istanbul. Istanbul. Yeah. How did he get there? Do you know? I think he had a friend. Maybe he had an exhibition there. He was charmed and seduced by the city. Hmm. <laughs> so anyway, here's the deal. The deal is that we live next door to him. I had this much older boyfriend. Who, I was very shy in those days and very much in the background. And my boyfriend, who's also named David, was extremely funny and outgoing and socially aggressive. 
and 13 years older and made made a really good amount of money and we lived in this like fabulous loft where I was making like no money as a junior beginning baby art director in advertising and uh, David was sort of like a creative director or whatever so I was always in this role of being you know uh, in a very passive role uh, without and not you know not having any kind of say over things because uh, like he would just decide he wanted to get a TV and he'd go out and buy one it would never be our thing it would always be his uh, so that was me in my 20s until I like got fed up of that and here I am today not nothing like that but well not quite um, but what I was really missing in those days was somebody who was like committed to me and respected me and I think that you seemed well you are a good-looking guy right I mean uh, you probably had uh, I mean you probably knew that did you know that no no he's my I had I had massive pimples I walk around I still think Uh, I'm kind of a monster okay well I'm sure yeah Uh, okay so maybe you know I don't know if you were conscious of it or not but I mean also another thing about looks is that my boyfriend David that I live with and my husband is so aware of this we, we always laugh about it um was five six like an inch taller than me and I it always bothered me how short he was you're like six foot something or six foot three three yeah so it's my husband so like when I broke up with David I said no matter what I'm changing that the next guy had I wouldn't date anybody who was under 510 after I broke up with him so you were tall that but also you seem very um like you would be really respectful of the woman you were with was that a good accurate kind of thing and you seemed like um yeah, maybe it was that you didn't seem desperate for attention or something like that. Is that accurate? Uh, probably. I think I think that's accurate. Yeah. I never in in some ways I feel like I missed out on the sort of uh the roving kind of um relationship adventurer. I tended to to be with one person. For yeah, a very maybe long that's time. what I was like and I think and I and you were with I remember, I remember like, you know, I remember you had a girlfriend. I mean, this was all just like all in my head anyway. So you had a girlfriend or a wife when, when, and you had a kid. I was telling, I was, dear listeners. So I was saying this to David before you guys heard, before we started, but I was saying that I used to see him. And you know what? If I was a stalker, I would have stalked him, but I don't know how to do that very well. I'm too shy. So, but um, I used to see him with a baby in a baby carriage. And I used to think, oh, look how, you know, great. This guy has this great relationship. I'll never have a really solid relationship, blah, blah, blah. So tell me about that. What was was your life like in those days? Well, I was a total Mr. Mom. And um, my ex and I... uh, we're both artists, and so mm-hmm. we just took parenting, the number of parenting hours, and divided them in half. Mm. So I would be the, I was that guy at the playground. That must have been it. The only guy at the playground. Oh, that must have been There's it. There's like the nannies over there, and the moms over there, and then oh, there's me. That must have been it. So I did that, and that was cool, because it meant I got to, you know, really know my daughter well. Yeah. Um, and I guess, but I did not take advantage of, and I was not even aware that there is this thing of like, 
the the lone dad with their kid as, oh, yeah. with, as a chick magnet. Oh, you could have had the ladies. For yeah, sure. For sure. Are I, you kidding? I was such an idiot. Why didn't you? Maybe you weren't even aware of it. Maybe that's what I found appealing about you. I didn't know how to navigate across that space. So how did you meet? How did you meet your wife? Like, what was that like? How old were you guys? First wife? Yeah, the first wife. She was a couple years older than me. I was an undergrad. And where uh, I was at the New York Studio School. I, I, oh yeah, yeah, I went yeah. To, I went Classic to, lit training. Yeah, I went to MICA, and I, mm-hmm. I decided to do my junior year at the New York mm-hmm. Studio School. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did one semester, and then the second semester, she came, and she had been there before and had been and had graduated, and she was using it as a kind of grad school, and and uh, she seemed very kind of uh, confident and authoritative and attractive, mm-hmm. and so I was uh, very glad that uh, somehow she gave me the time of day and the next thing you know i'm kind of um in a way meshed Mm -hmm. we're living together and then a kid comes along and so you know whether you know whether we should have stayed together or not so you were interested in her first um or did you no i didn't really i was kind of vaguely interested in everybody Ah. i was like a just like a hungry voracious young guy right and and she so so in a way she emerged uh-huh as, with like real serious kind of intentions mm-hmm. with regards to so me. did she did she like sort of take the initiative you were available but did she we sort of fell into something and then she mm-hmm. took the initiative uh in the direction of like solidifying it you mean getting married yeah each you know first living together then, uh, um, like girls do yeah uh, I, got, I got caught into a spider web. You got, caught, you got caught up with, yeah, that's what these chicks do, you know. Um, so you were married to her for 20 years? Like or, 18. 18. We were together, and you're together with, for 18. So and you're like, with your current wife for, for like. About 20. Yeah, for longer, right. So there it is. That's yeah. the, there's and the pattern. You, so you had a child with your first wife. Yes. And did, uh, was that planned? Uh, was it planned? planned did you use a condom? That's what I'm asking. I'm planned. just basically asking you, did you use a condom? Planned by her. I did not. I thought I thought back then it was it was there was this uh rumor that if you smoke a lot of weed, uh oh, lowers yeah, it's your sperm count. Yeah, well that's probably that, that didn't be... that didn't work. <laughs> if you're fifty, maybe. So you mean you 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 got pregnant by you guys got pregnant by surprise? Uh I think she was interested in that happening. And she I, hooked you into getting she pregnant. Did. She did, more or less. Did you? Yeah. Did you think that? Well, I, I knew that I, I knew that this was uh, in the in the mix. So, hmm. So it was a little unplanned. So it just devil may care. This is what happened. So how how? Um... Yeah, I thought you know I'm a capable person, uh, and uh, and having a kid was something something I could, mm-hmm. could handle, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe it didn't wasn't on the top of my list, but. Uh, there was. So um, you were married for twenty years, so things must have been pretty decent. Most of, most of that. That's a that's a successful relationship yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Are you still friends with your ex wife? Yeah, more or less. Mm-hmm. And your daughter is. You said it's thirty, and she's a, she just she's got a shrink. She's a shrink, and she just got married herself. <laughs> oh, really? That's so nice. It's sweet. Yeah. And is she it, married an artist? She married a, a designer, artist, musician. Oh, nice. Totally cool guy. Where do, Where does she live? Brooklyn. So you're close to her? Yes. That's great. We play tennis every week. Oh, lovely. And how about your uh current your current wife? Um does she uh did she ever want to have children? Well she she and I were so instantly compatible. We so just lit 
up this we we caused the sun to rise every day it was a total mad wow. beautiful thing wow. and it turns out she is a a, a very impressive writer she, uh, i didn't know at the time she's a musician also mm-hmm. and a painter wow. so it turns out we just shared everything mm. we shared uh all our kind of ambitions and so it mm-hmm. turned out to be a kind of a collaborative entity both with a band and we we make exhibitions together oh so she you guys have played music together as well yes oh that's cool and you do you make art together i mean i've seen i've seen her art which is up right now at freight in volume uh just open will be up for another month and um the one downtown the one on lower east side we had a show she and i had a, a show of collaborations up at the gallery called arts and leisure Oh yeah, yeah, that's way uptown, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a satellite of Freightville. Oh, Freightville. really? And we have another show uh, in April in Lincoln, Nebraska, of our collaborations. Oh wow! So how are, how are your collaborations different than your than um, each of yours work, or how how do you guys work when you collaborate? It is by nature more schizo. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're kind of um, slightly more mm-hmm. insane. Um, mm-hmm. But so, the, but but what's the technique? What's the process of how you work together? Do you just take out a big canvas and you yeah, each just, get a brush and yes, usually is one it really at, like that? It's usually one at a time. We pass them back and forth. Oh. And the trick is to kind of amuse or or kind of um, throw off balance what the other person has done. Mm-hmm. But the in the end, it's a kind of coherent painting, as though one kind of slightly fucked mm-hmm. up person made it. How do you know? How do you know? Um, like. I guess it's kind of an unspoken thing, right? You have sense, you just kind of have a sense of where it's going and when it's done and all that. Do you argue about it or do you have conflict about yeah, it? We have um, mild, mild uh, differences, but usually it resolves. Mm-hmm. I think that Jennifer tends to want to kind of polish them slightly more than I do. Ah. I kind of want to play out a sort of casual, kind of throwaway feeling where she'll kind of want to put little twinkles on the eyes of the characters inside the painting. So do you just kind of like, um, just kind of like take the painting at a certain point and hide it from her or something? <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> she'll, sniff, she'll find it out. She'll it out. <laughs> well, that sounds real. See, I was right. You, you probably do have your shit together enough to have a decent relationship because to me, I think that's one of the hardest things. I mean, my husband is also an artist. Our work is really, really different, but you know, we definitely have conflicts about that just because we're very different in the way that we work. Well, I think I have a, I think I have a high tolerance for volatility. Oh, I mean, I don't know maybe, what, I don't yeah. know what your thing is, but are, are you the volatile one? I mean, do you freak, <laughs> do you freak out? And... Well, he would say so. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like for example, like we just both did spring break, and like I like to have everything organized and all set up and. You know, Phil likes to make like something like huge and work it out on the site. And part of the process is like the tension. And he just, it to me, it just seems so stressful. Right. So we're just both like, I, I, like the way he works um, makes me insane. So I just, I mean, we did pretty well because we were able to both be very productive and completely separately without getting in each other's way hardly at all which was an achievement but as far as that's craft that's like a collaborative craft situation where you can i mean i'm, but, I'm but, kind of assuming you're you you made this piece was the two of you no no because i did like no i did my work which was paintings and mirrors text pieces and the therapy office and he had these three huge installations of of a photo fo- each one is a photograph of like um 
places that there was conflict in America recently, you know, like oh, yeah. Ferguson or something like that. Sure. So I, I, I so thought... they're just really unrelated. Our work is pretty much unrelated. But um, so what I'm saying is like part of our problem is like we can't work. T- it's hard for us to work together because the methods that we create are so different. Yeah, I guess in our case, sometimes it'll be a case in which I said case twice there, didn't I? Um, here's a piece of shit beginning. Please mm-hmm. fix it, honey. Oh, really? And is that what she says? Or is that what it is like? That's what she says. And I say uh, it too. Like, uh-huh. That's funny. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, I think it And then are out. you pretty much happy when the paintings are done? Are you in agreement? Yeah. And do you like the same ones? The sa- do you feel the same way about why ones are successful and not successful? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Okay, we have three minutes left. And um, as a stepmother myself, who I love my stepson so much... Uh, Christopher. Um, but I just want to hear about, can you, can you describe how Jennifer, how old was she when you, how old was your daughter when you started dating Jennifer? My daughter was 10 or 11. So how was that? How was Jennifer, how did, how is integrating Jennifer as a stepmother? And that's me as a stepmother curious. So that's a challenging, definitely challenging question. And she would probably answer it differently than I did, but it was not easy because when you split up uh when i split up with simone's mom there's a kind of you know i was there continuously as a parent but it but it opens the door for the possibility that dad could go away if dad mm. if dad is breaking up with mom why couldn't dad break up with me mm-hmm. i think in the right in yeah the no it's hard. in the child's unconscious so so what happens is you know it's a slight slightly more kind of charged attachment mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. happens. That makes it hard for a new relationship, mm-hmm. uh, like with you know with uh, Jennifer and I. Mm-hmm. So we had to navigate through that, and it was mm-hmm. you know ups and downs. And those two had to work it out, and I had to kind of let smoke blow out of my ears uh, when you know the girl kind of tension builds yeah. uh, excruciatingly in a in a tiny apartment in the West Village. Oh my God! Yeah, because I mean, for me, in a way, it was easier because Christopher and Phil they would go off and do their guy things. They didn't want me around. But you have two, you had two ladies. Yeah, that could be stressful, but it, but um, it, it's probably pay, paid off, right? It has totally paid are off. Are they really good yes, friends now? they and, are. And it's, yeah. And, it's uh, great, and now right? Jennifer has been a kind of a major uh, presence in Simone's life, actually. She's been in her life for more than she hasn't been in her life. Right, right, right. But it does take it's it that's that's not easy for anybody, is it? Definitely not easy. And there's no guidebook. Yeah, because there's it's no so guidebook. on the fly. Things happen, they just erupt unexpectedly, you step on a mine, oops, somebody's feelings are hurt. So here's a shout out to all the stepmothers out here because we're gonna have to we're gonna we're we're gonna have to say goodbye. Um being that the show is over and um thanks so much for listening in and you should stay and listen to um the mixtape show that's right on after this one by Elon. It is so funny. It's like all these different mixtapes. And uh he's he's a really uh terrific uh host on Radio Free Brooklyn at www radio radio that begin that's R A D I O Free F R E. Dr. Lisa gives a shit.